Welcome to Yas Jesus. We aren't spiritual leaders. We aren't theologians. Or prophets. Or even really that sure of what we're doing. We're just two lost sinners who love the Lord. And want to open up His grace to other people who are on this journey alongside us. This isn't a tutorial on how to be Christian. But rather an exploration on what that actually means. In a safe space. Thank you and God bless. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of Gas Jesus, a non-slut-shaming, sex-positive, queer look at theology and Christianity through the eyes of a rainbow lens. So join us and find out what we find out on Yas Jesus. Hi, I am Daniel Francesi. You might know me as Damien from the Tina Fey cult classic movie Mean Girls, or as the HIV positive Eddie Bear on HBO's Looking, or many of my other roles on television, film, and theater. But I am here today as a sinner and a queer Christian who has questions about Christianity. I grew up a devout Christian, put myself into conversion therapy, went through my entire life hearing that gay and God do not go together, the entire time maintaining my faith. And that is when I met our co-host. I'd like to introduce you to... Azariah Southworth. Azariah! Oh my god. You guys are going to learn to love Azariah. Azariah (laughs) is an incredible friend of mine. Um, And tell them a little bit about your history, Azariah. Yeah, so I grew up in a Pentecostal home watching Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, Paul and Jan Crouch. These were my idols. While everyone was having Britney Spears on their wall, I had Jan Crouch on my wall, okay? You did? Well, you know... Yes. Theoretically Theor- Yes. <laughs> I mean, we technically had 98 degrees. But but Jan and Paul, they were those staples in our house. They were the house. For those names. of you who kind of remember it, TBN, the Trinity Broadcasting Network, uh, Jan Crouch was the one with the purple hair. Yeah. Yeah. She. I mean, she's technically she's the ripoff of Tammy Faye. You know, Jim but and... But the gays know the purple hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and the gold sets. You know, her house is actually just like a TBN set. Wow. White thick carpet in every room, even the bathroom and kitchen, and like gold plated mirrors and yes, yeah, Jan yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I grew up watching these people and idolizing, and I knew I was gay ever since I. I and you ended up I working had, for TBN. I did. I ended up working for TBN and doing what? I was a Christian TV host. I had a show on their network. And what was the show called? It was called The Remix. It was a weekly music entertainment so show. So Azariah Southworth, the former host of The Remix on the Trinity Broadcasting Network, no longer works there. Why, Azariah? Because <laughs> Paul Crouch went to the program director himself and said, pull his show from the air immediately as soon as I said, I'm a little faggot. So here we are as some gay people who love Christ, who have questions. We want to know Why? Why are Christians who are told to love thy neighbor and preach love and acceptance so against homosexuals? That is what we really need to get down to, because this is not what Jesus meant. This is not what the Bible was meant for. And it's been meant to exclude and marginalize people like us. So we're here, a little bit part investigative journalism, put a little sprinkle of catfish, a little sprinkle of Leah Remini and in, in in, yeah, Scientology the aftermath, and a whole lot of we love God. Yeah. And trying to figure out why that Christians seem to think that gay and God don't go together. Why isn't there a place at the table for us? 
Why don't we have a place at the table? There are many churches out there that are gay affirming, are queer affirming, but won't advertise that they are or are privately mm-hmm. or like, hey, you could be gay. Just don't be gay in this room. Come out. And come God out will accept you, you. Well, we think that it's time that we reclaim our pride. Um, we think that we can love God, be having sex and still be Christians. And we think that it's time that people took a modern look at Christianity to use it for where we are in today's age. I just want to take that one step farther. Sure. You can not only love God, be in a same-sex relationship, and have that consummated. We'll be proper about this. Um, <laughs> but you can also get be your wearing... booty hole kissed. <laughs> you can, you also can get be your wearing... booty hole kissed and love God. <laughs> you could also be wearing that harness and leather chaps sure. and still love Jesus. I think that there is a definitely a thing that's going on in Christianity today where it's hypocritical. I think a lot of people are living their weekly secular lives and then becoming Christian on Sunday. And I don't think that that is something that we need to be doing. I think what we should be doing is exploring how to integrate God into every facet of our life and put God in places that God normally isn't. He's there anyway. He knows you're kissing behind the bushes. Right. (laughs) And, and, And Jesus said, come as you are. Come as you are, fully as you are, leather chaps and all. And that's how it should be. If you're perfect, you don't need God. So if you're perfect and you're listening to this podcast, um, you don't need to be. So you could turn us off. But if you're not perfect and you're wondering, where do I fit into this space? How does God love me the way that I am? Then please continue listening. So let's go through your history. Uh, some people know about me and we'll get more into like my relationship with God. But since people are just meeting you, Azariah, unless they were a big fan of the remix on TBN. <laughs> um, hey, there's some out there. There are some out there. Please. Uh, contact us if you do remember Azariah on the remix. We would love that. Um, and I know you get tons of letters from people that did hear your story when you because when you came out, it was loud. Yeah. You were the first millennial host from TBN to come out publicly. I mean, it had, it had Perez Hilton. Yeah. It blew up everywhere, in your face, actually. Yeah. And I think since then, you have left enter- the entertainment industry. Yeah, this is the first thing that I've done since I've come out. So this is my first step back into the light, if you will. So God had a plan for Azariah, and God's plan for Azariah was for Azariah to work in media. He had prayed upon it. He had answered prayers. He worked for the Trinity Broadcasting Network. God brought him all the way up to there, and he was told by the people, the powers that be over there, that he could no longer have a space in there because he was queer. This is a lesson of somebody which we're dealing with right now with the current administration and our government, somebody who was fired from their destiny, fired from their job because they were LGBTQ. And that job just happened to be a job that was celebrating the music of people that love God. Yeah. I mean, I grew up listening to Jars of Clay, Carmen, Rebecca St. James, Amy Grant, all the greats. Christian you know? music super fan. Oh, my God. Yes. Wait, is, is that putting it lightly? or, oh, Honey, I used to give my mom foot massages to drive me four hours to go see the Elms, which was like equivalent to <laughs> Oasis. I know. But, you know, like I that was that was the only way I could convince my mom. We I went to Night so. of Joy. Uh, Night of Joy, which is when um, uh, it's kind of like Disney Gay Days, ironically, or like Grad Night, which some people might remember if they live near Disneyland or Disney World, where Night of Joy around 11 p.m. they shut the park early and then only open it up for Christians, and then they have a huge Christian music festival, mm-hmm. and it's like an all, an all night long Christian fest. And I used to go to that every single year. I was also in youth group and a devout Christian. So for you, what is your first memory of? being Christian and, and, and of God showing himself to you, for you, for, for you to feel like you knew God existed? 
I used to ask God to prove to me that she was real. And at 13, no, it was about, I was 10 years old, and our pastor walked in. He was in tears, went up to the pulpit. He could barely control himself, and so his wife had to step in and speak for him. And she told us, the whole congregation that Sunday morning, that his mom was just diagnosed with cancer and that she was going to go into surgery and it was not looking good. And I remember feeling this warmth come up next to me and this thought dropped into my head that said, tell him she's healed. And so I grabbed the tithe envelope out of the back of the seat that was in front of me and I just wrote it down and at the end of the service, I sheepishly walked up to him and just gave it to him and quickly went away because I was very nervous about that because he was very emotional already and I didn't want to provoke more emotions, you know, but I gave it to him. She had the surgery and two weeks, they were gone for about two weeks and two weeks later we had this fellowship gathering after a Sunday evening service and the pastor came up to me and he said, I just want to let you know that you were right. When they opened her up to remove the tumor or whatever it was, there was no cancer to be found. And so for me as a 10-year-old, I I took that as confirmation that God was real and that God had a plan for me and that God was going to use me somehow in this world. Um, so that was my first experience, understanding that there's something more. I grew up, I think, integrating my sexuality with Christianity very early. My parents were devout Christians. They had uh, converted from Catholicism to Christianity, and my off-the-boat Italian grandparents refused to speak to them. They lived above them, above the build, above the apartment. They lived in a little apartment above their house in Brooklyn, and so my they stopped speaking to them, and every day had to see them. My mother actually sold her wedding ring to move out of the house. My mom was pregnant, was happy, just recently married, and had a miscarriage. It was a baby girl. And my grandparents said to my mom, well, where's your God now? Mm -hmm. My mom had this experience in the hospital where a nurse came in, this African-American woman, and told her, don't worry, God took away that baby to give you a son. And my mother was like touched by this and felt comfort from this woman. And afterwards, as they were leaving the hospital, looked around to meet the woman and nobody knew of an African-American woman that worked in that ward on that floor and nobody knew who she was talking about. And my mother believed for this to be a sign and left with total comfort after her miscarriage. She had a son right away, it was me. And my mom said, if I was anything, I was a special baby. I could talk really early on and I learned my ABCs and everything while I was still in my diapers and I knew how to spell things. And <laughs> she's like, you were special and look at you now, you know. But they named me Daniel without a middle name because Daniel means God is my judge. My mother drilled this. If I called my mother right now, she would tell me that story again. And so from the time I'm born, I've always been told that God is my judge and I don't have to worry about anybody judging me besides God. And so I always live my life as a Christian without fear of that. And in and out of church, I became very involved in church. Throughout middle school, I never listened to secular music. I only mm-hmm. listened to Christian music. Mm-hmm. Um, when I entered high school, I started writing for the church paper, the shofar. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I wrote an article in there about how hard it was, how people teased me and called me Brother Daniel, or like, noticed that I had carried a Bible to school. And it was hard and it was embarrassing, but my youth group leader used to make us go to the local, the, the Catholic All Saints Carnival in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and hand out tracts and especially approach people that we knew from school. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had to do those things for God. Yeah. I blindly followed the church, as people who go to church often do. I picketed abortion clinics. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I did the things that they told us to do. Yeah. I wrote my research report in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm-hmm. I immersed myself in religion, thinking during puberty that religion would be my solstice and escape from homosexuality. Yeah. Um, I gave myself this like asexual bubble, and it got me through. It got me through. You know, uh, a couple of crushes on a few girls that already had boyfriends, and um, a uh, eating disorder combined with those things left me in a place where I was protected from homosexuality until I discovered that I was good at musical theater. (laughs) (laughs) Then then all hell broke loose. (laughs) (laughs) I just knew that eventually the first time I kissed a boy, I knew that there was more there. Mm -hmm. And uh, that happened when I was 19. Hmm. And from there, I really started the struggle. If the struggle wasn't real before, it was right in my face. Um, And just dealt with it through there. I um, put myself into conversion therapy, thinking that that was the answer. My initial answer was to talk to my grandmother and pretend that I had erectile dysfunction. I currently had a girlfriend. I was 20 years old. And I told my grandmother that I, that I had erectile dysfunction, so she would have my grandfather get Viagra, so I can then take the Viagra and have sex with my girlfriend and remain being straight. When I brought this up to my grandmother, before I even got into the plan, I just was like, I'm having some problems like with like Edie and my girlfriend and before I could answer it my grandmother brought out who is my spiritual prayer warrior um, she she journals her prayers every morning and she came out with a bookmark in the Bible with my name on it uh, that was in a, a phrase about homosexuality hmm. and I screamed at her and I said you think I'm gay too and I ran to her bathroom and I didn't know what to do I was shaking I got on my knees and I said a prayer I said, dear God, I open up the heavens to you right now and I stare you right in the eyes as your son, face to face. And I challenge you, God. And let me tell you something, historically in literature and stories in the Bible itself, when people challenge God, Mm -hmm. it don't work out too good. She got bold. (laughs) It don't work out too good. It was (laughs) life or death for me. Yeah. And I remember my mom describing when she converted to Christianity from Catholicism, she had gone to a Christian church and had felt something she never felt before in a Catholic church. And she was worried about it. And she told her priest about it. And she said, my soul is in your hands. And I remember how serious that was for her. And this was my soul is in your hands kind of moment mm-hmm. uh, with between me and God. But the priest had told her, if you're feeling God's presence, then you're in the right place wherever it is. So I had used that same challenge card. And I said, God, I'm looking at you right now. I said, I'm 21 years old. If you have a girl that can give me everything that I need and I can give her everything that I that she needs, I'll marry her right now. I live in Florida. Everyone's getting married by 21. It's fine. (laughs) I was like, but if you don't show me that girl within a year, I have to know that you want me this way and you made me this way and I'll spend the rest of my life trying to figure out why. Mm -hmm. And spoiler alert, I think that God made gay people to take care of all the unwanted children in the world. That is my personal opinion. I think that there are so many hypocritical Christians and so many of those same Christians that are praying for starving kids in Malawi who, you know, they'll have like Sarah McLaughlin and there's kids crying with like flies on their face on TV for the price of a cup of coffee and they're praying for those kids but then they'll vote against gay adoption Mm -hmm. and I think what's the obvious loving Christian choice there, the godly choice there? Um, I think there's a lot of really obvious incorrect choices that Christians are making against LGBTQ people right now. But in this moment, I didn't know that I didn't, I didn't come to that conclusion yet. And I just said to God, like, show me what's up, you know? 
And I left the room and my grandmother said she was shaking and she was upset and she knew that I visibly upset her. I would never yell at her. And she was like, do you want me to talk to the pastor about this? And I said, yes, please. She went to the pastor and the pastor was like, I don't know much about this, but someone recently just came to me. Maybe it's serendipitous. Maybe this is God. Take this card and see what this is about. So even he didn't know. And it was conversion therapy. And so I signed up for conversion therapy. I showed up. And there was a test. And the test was essentially like every fifth question was something about homosexuality. It was like, have you ever stole anything, you know, over $500? Have you ever contemplated suicide? It was like, do you feel like you get in fights often? You know, it's like, do you love your parents? Do you think dicks are pretty? It was like, I was like, wait a minute, what? Like every, yes. <laughs> like every fifth one was something that I was like, yeah, you know? <laughs> and then finally, um, that was the first session. Then I started going in more and telling him more about my life. My parents were currently going through a divorce. My mom, who had nobody to turn to, was confiding too much in me, potentially. But nothing I couldn't really handle. But to the outside person, it didn't seem it didn't seem correct for a mother to be speaking that way. My mother has always been sex positive. She's her theory on raising me with sexuality was if they're old enough to ask, then they're old enough to know. So if I came to her and I had a question like, "Mom, what's a blowjob?" My mom would be like, "Well, like you're gonna think this is gross." I think I was seven when I asked. She's like, "You're gonna think this is gross, but like when two people love each other when and they're together and they're married, there's things that they do to each other that help." you know like with their love like things that feel but it's gross right now to you because you're not ready for it that's for an adult thing you know and that's kind of how she handled everything she was very honest and open about everything with me Mm -hmm. so when I started communicating these things to her especially because my mom and I have a healthy uh rapport speaking about sexuality when my mom started telling me about sexual things with her and my dad when they were breaking up I was sharing it because I was like living in that moment currently and the therapist told me that I wasn't gay which all that's all I wanted to hear and especially because I, I knew he was a gay man. He, you know, he sounded gay. He looked gay. And he, was t- and he was clearly gay. And he told me that I wasn't gay. He said, I have gay clients and you're not gay. And it was just like, <laughs> all I wanted was a diagnosis. <laughs> That's like all I needed. And he said to me, um, you're not gay. What your problem is, is you're having by curiosity. And you're having this because your mom tells you too much about sex. So you need to tell your mom that you're having by thoughts and it's because of her. <laughs> and it's because of what she has told you so i was like okay so then i met with my mom it was very hard to do Mm -hmm. and i was like mom i think i'm bi-curious and she was like duh (laughs) she was like i made you you think i care like you think i didn't know and i said wait there's more i was like and i think it's your fault Mm. and that's where she hit the ceiling because my mom has mama bared me my my whole life Anyone ever said something bad about me, anyone ever called me gay, anyone ever did anything that made me feel marginalized, my mom was the first one to fight for me. So for me to turn to her and tell her that it was her fault, it was very hurtful to her. And in retrospect, that was so horrible of me to do. I didn't know what I was doing. I was being misguided. But when I really think back to how accepting my mom was, I think back to a moment when I was young and my mom let me get white skates. All the boys in Brooklyn had black skates and all the girls had white skates. They just didn't make white boy skates. And I had white Care Bear skates. Oh, my God. And I remember my mom's friend saying, why are you letting him do that? Like, why are you letting him ride around with white Care Bear skates? And my mom was like, those are the skates he wanted. Leave him the fuck alone. She was like, that's what he wanted. He's happy. Leave him alone. What do you care what skates he rides in? My mom always had that gender neutral positivity. I had a, I had a Cabbage Patch doll. She always had that because she just let me be who I was. Mm-hmm. 
so for me to tell her that was very hurtful. We lost contact for like three months. I moved out of the house. I felt was what it was like to be alone. It's the only time I've ever lived in a place that my mom never saw. She never came in. She never saw it. Eventually, I started running out of money, and she let me come back. I was sick, too. I had a flu, and I was just like, I need to come home for a little bit. And she was like, okay. We still didn't talk too much. I came home, and I was still going out to gay clubs every night. And I saw this incredible, incredible drag queen, Electra from Miami, who did Bette Midler Live, including like when someone was like, we love you, Bette. And she'd be like, I love you, baby. And she had every line perfectly down. I'd never seen anything like it. I had just discovered gay clubs because I was in a play, and one of my gay cast members' partner was the drag queen. So they were like, we don't care if you're gay or not. You've never been to a gay club. You need to come with us. And they started showing me what everything was like, and I felt protected. Mm-hmm. Well, I knew my mom would have loved that performance. Now, my mom, at that point, my parents had divorced. My mom was in a relationship with a black man. She had dated him for many years and was afraid that my Italian traditional family would potentially not understand and have a racist view of him. So she kept him secret for many years. Uh, Later on, she ended up marrying him and having a happy relationship with him until he passed. But at the time, my mom, he would leave, like he'd come over Christmas morning and then before people started showing up at 4 p.m., he'd give us our presents and then he would leave. And we'd have Christmas without him, but he was very much a part of our life. He drove my mother up to come see me in my college plays. He like was very much a part of our life, but secretly. So I said to my mom, I was like, Mom, you missed it last night. I said, there's an incredible bet. Midler impersonation. She goes, Danny, don't you think that that's not of the Lord? She's like, I got like, Mom, do I really have to tell you like about myself again? And she goes, no, 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 I know, I know. But I'm just saying, like, when you go somewhere, doesn't it feel like Sodom and Gomorrah? You see all these men kissing all over the place. Doesn't it feel like this sinful place? And I said, Mom, you think I'm great. You think I'm handsome. You think I'm talented. You think I'm all these things. If I'm dating somebody and that person thinks all those things about me, wouldn't you want to shake their hand and be like, that's the man I hate? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I said, so, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I said, someone once asked Gandhi about homosexuality and he said, loving someone with everything that you have and having them love you back with everything that they have is the greatest gift God could give anyone who cares if they're black, white, purple, whatever. Amen. And I said, but would you rather me be like you and have to hide my lover from my family every Christmas? And I I saw her heart crack open. And she said to me, I've had gay cousins, I've had gay friends, I've known gay people my whole life, but it took my son to make me understand, and I understand. Mm -hmm. And she hugged me, and that was step one, that was day one. And from that day, to taking my mom to the place where she's on the Virgin America float with me in San Francisco (laughs) after just appearing in the gay show looking and screaming, we're these here, we're queer, get used to it. I'm like, mom, you're in San Francisco, you're preaching to the choir. (laughs) Now my mom's like, Danny, I understand top bottom. I understand Mastodom, but what is it with the leather dogs? (laughs) Let me tell you. I'm like, like, mom, maybe they just want to bone like everybody else. Now I get it. (laughs) But my mom has come to such a place where my mom is now an LGBTQ advocate. So I wanted I this podcast has always been something that has been heavy on my heart. Mm-hmm. I stayed in the closet for many years as an actor and I promised God just let me become successful. Let me get to a place where I could buy my mom a house. Let me get to a place where I, like because gay people weren't welcome in Hollywood early on. Right. Now we're like you know the cats meow but before you know we were the dog's duty. And like now I'm at the place where it's like just let me get to this place and I promise you when I come out my platform will be that God loves gay people. Yeah. And that is something that I am fulfilling with this podcast. And then I meet you. Yeah. We, this all came about 
from having drinks at Akbar. Yes. And we both were Which talking is a gay about bar here in Los Angeles. Yeah, a, a fantastic one. Queer one actually. Queer yes. bar. And we were both talking about our conversion therapy experiences. Yes. Mine started at 13. Yours is way more intense. I'm sorry. Oh, before we get into yours because I want to just wrap up how I got out of conversion yes. therapy. So I go back after telling my mom, feeling like I accomplished something, but I don't feel right. I just lost my mother's favor in that conversation. And I come back and I say to him, I'm just torn. I don't think this is the right thing. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing. I'm so afraid. And he goes, what are you afraid of? He sounded like <laughs> Leslie Jordan. And he was like, what are you afraid of? And I'm like, I'm afraid of going to hell. And he's like, you're not going to go to hell. Mm-hmm. He goes, I was just telling my wife. And I go, your <laughs> wife? He goes, yes, I have a wife and two kids. I go, you have a wife. He goes, yes, I used to be gay. And I go, you used to be gay? Uh, first of all, I wasn't sure if I was gay or not, but I knew for shit sure this guy was a faggot. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? You can't like not be gay. That's the whole thing uh, I'm talking about here. Yeah. And he goes, listen to me right now. And he got mad and he stood up in his chair in a little room and he yelled right in my face. And he goes, you could be sucking a dick and the second coming of Christ could happen and you're still going to go to heaven. <laughs> and I go, what? He goes, it's not about the sexual act. It's not about the sin. It's about just believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, and believing in Christ, and trusting God. And that's all you need to get into heaven. And he goes, so the sex doesn't matter? And he goes, well, God doesn't want you to sin, but like it's it that's your sin is not going to stop you. Your belief is going to get you in. And I was like, excuse me, I have to go. And then I literally (laughs) went straight home, got on AOL found someone and lost my virginity yes that night <laughs> yes jesus look yes jesus in some ways in other ways it wasn't someone i was attracted to and i highly recommend uh having sex with someone that you care about the first time i that was the one thing i would change about my experience but it was experimental right i realized they enjoyed it and we all have to walk that path and we have to walk that path and i was like you know what and, and then walk a shame back to the car <laughs> and i just realized okay now I can start my life in some, even if my life is still private and hidden, I can start my life in exploring and being curious. And I think that the reason that we don't have all the answers is God wants us as humans to be curious and to ask questions. And I don't think enough people are asking questions about why gay and not God. Like, why can't we have both? Um, you took a, like, one of the most horrible things is I feel like when you're in the closet, you're living a double life and you have to hide the fact that you're in the closet. And when you're a Christian that is in the closet, when you come out, you either have to be in the closet about being a Christian yeah. or you have to leave a part of you behind or not let a part of you start. And I think that you can be all that you are and still be loved by God. So then your story. Ooh, everybody sit down, girl. This is crazy. <laughs> so you, a devout young Pentecostal boy. Pentecostal boy. In little Orland, Indiana. Population 400 people. 400 people in your little ass town. Yeah. I lived five miles outside of that. You're going to have like a Tuang Fu strawberry festival with like the 10 people (laughs) in your freaking town. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, we went to, my mom always said, a church alive is worth a drive. And so we drove 30 miles one way into Ohio, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. Wow. And the church was in a barn and... It all started when my parents went to our pastor and told her that I had a woman pastor. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So we we thought like we were That's pretty progressive. They thought they were progressive. We thought we were we, for for evangelicals, for we evangelical were liberals. we were on the 
kind of on the left of center, like okay. having a woman pastor. We thought we were progressive, right? Right. Meanwhile, they're casting the demons out of anyone and everyone that doesn't look or act like them. Uh-huh. And um, so your mom came to the pastor. Yeah. So our, my parents went to the pastor and, and told her that they thought I was struggling with homosexuality. Why? What, were the, what was tipping them off? What made them feel like that was happening? You know, I think it was because that summer I spent the summer with my sister in Tulsa. She went to Oral Roberts University. Of course she did. And we lived three, she lived three miles from the campus. And I used to drive, ride my little bicycle to go to the Hour of Healing tapings uh, with Richard and Lindsay Roberts. Uh, anyway. That's another story. It's okay for you. Listen, don't apologize for geeking out on your evangelical <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like, fandom. There will be people listening that agree, even though I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> right. But that summer, I I was living with my sister, Bobby. And while they would be gone, I uh, especially late at night, I would be on the AOL chat rooms. And mm-hmm. I found a volleyball team Ooh. that was a gay volleyball team. And I rode my little gay happy ass down there. And I squirted myself all in cologne. I, let me rephrase Stop that. Because it. these queens who are listening like, squirted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, keep it. Keep it. You squirted yourself okay. with cologne <laughs> on your face. I doused myself in cologne. Wait a and minute, you're 12 and you put cologne on yeah, to go to the volleyball yeah, yeah, yeah. game. And I, oh I God, it was, so it was, it was. There were so many volleyball teams going on, and so I walked all around looking for the queens. And I knew I found the queens when I heard, "Oh, her box is huge." You know. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, these are my girls. And I just sat there and I just watched them because I knew that they were free and I was not. That and I so wanted to be pure. that. Oh my God, Azariah. And so my brother-in-law was a computer programmer and he found the AOL chat rooms that I was going into, oh. the, the gay porn websites I was visiting. And, wow. uh, and I think he told my parents. And then that's when my parents went to the pastor and said, Without hey, coming to you. Right. And so they told me that pastor wanted to have a meeting with me and just a discussion. And I thought it was from the angle of she wanted to give me encouragement, just have a one-on-one meeting with me. And I was excited because I looked up to pastor. I She was a role model for me. Sure. And um, spiritual my spiritual leader. And... And so I was excited for this meeting, and we go into her office after a Sunday evening service, and she sits behind her desk, and I'm sitting in this chair, and I'm just going to describe the room because it puts me there mentally. And it was thick green carpet, white walls, and she started telling me the story of how these flowers ended up on her desk. And she said that a man gave her these flowers. What kind of flowers? They were blue and white. They were fake, which, you know, fake flowers. How great can they be? Um, (laughs) They they weren't cute. Uh, These just these blue and white fake flowers on her desk. And she said that a man who once struggled with homosexuality gave her these flowers. um, But now he's free. Oh, he's like, I'm not gay anymore, so I'm not going to get you really good flowers. I'm going to get you some <laughs> fake-ass flowers. <laughs> May these flowers last as long as my heterosexuality. <laughs> if uh, I was gay, they'd be real hydrangeas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they would, though. <laughs> yeah, but now <laughs> that I'm not gay, these are from Home Goods. <laughs> right, yeah, here you go. And, um, and she looked at me and she said, Azariah, my eyes are on fire. And they Ooh. spoke very abstractly in, in this church. Mm. And so I interpreted that as her saying, I can see right through you, and I know what you are. And I know, I've know i known that I was gay ever since I could remember. 
And at 13, for the first time in my life, I just broke down in tears and said out loud that I was gay. And that was really hard for me. Um, and she, imagine. she came over, knelt down beside me, laid her hands on my chest and started to rebuke the demon of homosexual demons, because there was more than one, uh, out of me. And that happened once a week for the next five years. She would try to exercise once the demons out of me. a week? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I'm sorry. Once a week, you went through an exorcism? Yeah. For how long? For five years, until from 13 to 18. And I would have to confess my thoughts to her. There was a, a time where... I wore a rubber band around my wrist to snap myself anytime I had an impure thought. Okay. So you're a 13 year old child and you are being exercised every week after church. Yeah. I was trying to erase everything after church or when it was after church, sometimes after Sunday morning service, sometimes after Sunday evening service. So you're sitting through church knowing you're sitting through all of church, knowing that at the end it's time for you to be exercised. Well, our, our meetings usually were after Sunday evening service, but I would go to her myself anytime I felt like I was struggling yes, as well. Same as me. I get it. So and, so this goes on for years. Yeah. Meanwhile, you're still a devout member of the church. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my dad even tried to set up meetings with the youth, pa- youth pastor because he was a male. And so I think he wanted to establish a male role model for me. Sure. My dad ended up on a therapist's advice taking me to Boy Scouts. <laughs> Which was like, my Italian dad doing that was like ridiculous. He was like, yeah, I don't know about this. (laughs) One time all the dads, we all went out uh, camping uh, with Boy Scouts and all the dads went. And my dad thought that they were so corny that he made his own tent like away from them and Mm -hmm. away from the kids. And like away from all of us. And after the second night was like, yeah, I'm going to go. Talk about toxic masculinity. So anyway, your dad decides uh, to um, join youth group to try to be a good male role model for you yeah uh so he tried to get the youth pastor to be a good male role model for me and uh the youth pastor never followed through and i remember for but the youth pastor always followed through with other the other straight guys in in the youth group there was a click and so followed i followed through with what like hanging out with them or mentoring them sure and, sure and so that made me feel even more like just oh i'm just ugly this, duckling i'm just this little faggot over here you know yeah, I'm just um, that's that's all I have for that. <laughs> but okay, so the youth pastor also sort of rejected you. Yeah, the youth pastor kind of like yeah. uh, when you touch a bird's egg or whatever. You know what I mean? Like kind of just didn't like you felt like the one that was like tainted. Right. I I've, yeah, I definitely felt tainted, and um, yeah. So this all ha- went on till I was eighteen. So a year into conversion therapy is when I started trying to find my own space to just to be um, because I knew who I was there was no question about that it was just a question of can I be who I am and so I started creating my own space and the way I started doing that was I started breaking into homes in my neighborhood wait you, you okay so how old are you uh, this was now I was 14 so a year into so conversion a year therapy. into conversion therapy you're 14 years old and yeah. you're breaking into homes yeah I'm sorry you're so wholesome. <laughs> you're like, oh, one of, well, no, I, I mean, you're so wholesome looking <laughs> and you're from a town of 400 people and you're breaking into their homes. Yeah. How many homes? More than 10. More than 10. Yeah. And what, what are you doing? Are you, are you just hanging out? Are you stealing? The only thing I was looking for 
were dildos. Like, where are Wait. your dildos and porn? <laughs> like, where I, are I'm you? not going to even act like I don't know this story already, you guys. I, I'm sorry. I don't even, I'm not even going to act like I don't know this story, okay? I'm going to lead the witness just so you guys can hear this. Young Azariah, 14 years old, one year into conversion therapy, breaking into neighbors' homes to steal their dildos. <laughs> This is one of my favorite things oh, about you. Oh, God. I know. Okay, it's still so, so embarrassing. So I'm going to go back and ask you some questions. So mm. how did you know that they had dildos? I didn't. Okay, so wait. You were just hoping. I was just hoping. dildo? I was just hoping for... First, I was looking for porn. And the dildos were just a plus. I was like, ooh, what's so, this? Did it? So it started with one neighbor? Or like, how, were you tipped yeah, off? Or like, what happened? Yeah, so my best friend lived next door and he told me where his dad hid his stash of porn which was where under the bed under the waterbed uh-huh. in this it was a you know one of those wood big old waterbeds uh-huh. and they had the cabinets under the water mattress yes. and so i would open up the cabinet and there was just a stack of magazines right there uh-huh. and a stack of vhs tapes looking for dicks in there looking for dicks he didn't have any dicks on his side the other side of the bed did. Ooh, mama had dicks. Mama had dicks. <laughs> Damn. Okay. So you were like, I need to get to like my neighbor's mom's dick pics. <laughs> well, not the dick pics. Like, well, I mean, just the porn. Uh, right, the porn. I, and so this was my way of creating that space for me to explore because I wasn't allowed to go to sex ed. My dad right. wrote a letter to the Pre-internet. school saying, do not let him sit in this class. Your dad wrote a letter to class saying you couldn't go to sex yeah. ed? Yeah. Oh my God. Well, no wonder you were that curious. Like I was very that, curious. It's human nature. We couldn't ask about death. We couldn't ask about his bald spot. We couldn't ask about sex. Like, <laughs> You just didn't know. Yeah, I was very so the, You were one of the kids that weren't allowed in health class. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, horrible. Yeah, yeah. and so I... I remember so watching this, porn for the first time thinking, is he hurting her? Oh, no. Like, and Anyway. Okay, so 14 years old. Where? What was it like when you found that first dildo and what did it look like? It was It was just, it was a plain white, just <laughs> phallic. Oh, looking. like the Hitachi Magic Wand. Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Okay, so you found mom's Hitachi Magic Wand. Mm-hmm. Then what? We washed it. <laughs> oh, thank God. I didn't want to ask, but we I was sterilized hoping. that. I didn't want to ask, but I was I was hoping. dumb, but I wasn't that dumb. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need no vagina juice in this piece. I know, ma'am. Okay, uh, so you you get your best friend's mom's Hitachi magic wand moment. <laughs> or just not a Hitachi. What is that? It's just a normal, we know what it looks like, the normal mm-hmm. first dildo. Mm-hmm. Like, you take it, you wash it. What mm-hmm. did you wash it with? Just dove, like dial soap. Good, yeah. Di- get that antibacterial on there, yep, girl. Yep. And then what? And then we went to town. We ordered a pay-per-view on their satellite TV. <gasps> you ordered we a charged, pay-per-view? We, we ordered up to $500 worth. No! Yeah, yeah. I never knew that. $500 worth of pay-per-view on the neighbors? Honey. You were trying to get caught. <laughs> I, I, I was just dumb. I was just dumb. Mm-hmm. I, I, maybe... Dick I mean, would be doing that to people. It'd be like that sometimes. <laughs> the things Dick has done to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you... Okay, you are you are downloading illegal pay per view on your neighbor's thing. You're in the <laughs> yeah, house using yeah. the dildo. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you wash it before you put it back? Of course. I was just asking. I was just asking. Of course. I'm really curious. Yeah. So then you put it back. Okay. So then what? Are you continuing to break into the same house to use the same one, or now you're like? So I knew where their spare key was, okay. and so I would just use. Yeah, that. you're like a neighbor friend. Yeah. yeah. And then I lost the key, but you know what they say. 
when God closes a door, she opens a window. <laughs> okay. You went in through the window. But hold on. So how? So you had to be doing this to other neighbors, right? No, not at this point. Okay. Just so, them. Just them. So now you're climbing in their window. This was, this was my treasure chest. This yes. was my... I knew Your where my supply chest. was. My pleasure chest. I knew where my supply was. Sure. And... Can I be honest with you? Yeah. Uh, my mom, I think it was her 30th birthday probably. She got like uh, one of those funny greeting cards from Spencer Gifts of like, are you looking for a hard birthday or something? And you'd open up and it was like a beefcake with a hard dick. <laughs> and my mom like took the whole thing in like a basket and put it up on top of her dresser. And I used to find it. I used to sneak into her room, steal that greeting card, take it back to my room, <laughs> masturbate, and then put it back in the room, put it back on top of the thing. That's that beautiful. dick was like my friend forever. Oh, yeah. I told yeah. that to my mom later. She was like, I don't even know what I did with that thing. Like, I didn't even know it was there. Like, you could have kept it. I would have never have known. Whatever you do, don't touch but it. But to me, please. I thought it was like sacred. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. But that, yeah. I'm not even attracted to the type of guys that, that beefy, like muscly dude that's on, that was on that thing. But like, man, I was all about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel you a little bit. I mean, I wasn't that crazy. Uh, yeah. But yeah. I was I was masturbating to a greeting card. Okay. So, um, so now you're... You, you lose the key, you're breaking into the house. How mm-hmm. many times did you go in there before you tried another house? Well, we ended up, I, when I say we, I mean me, myself, and I. I ended up breaking the window, and it was winter, and the very smart cops just followed my foot tracks in yeah, the snow. Yeah, but you had broken into other houses before this happened. No. No? No. Okay. This was the first incident, and they followed my foot tracks in the snow, and I was arrested in the family living room. <sighs> Wait, so they knock on the door. Yeah. I was cleaning the van out. I was doing my little chores. And then I saw cops coming, going, because I was in the garage cleaning the van. Saw cops go through the garage into the house. and Your house? Yeah. And I knew that uh, I, this was, I knew what was happening. You knew it was about you? Yeah. And so what happened? So I got called into the living room. They read me my Miranda rights. How old are you? I was 14. 14, 15. Oh, my God. Yeah. And are your parents freaking out? Uh, they were very shocked. Very, very, very shocked. It was very emotional. They didn't know what it was about yet? or uh, Well, they ended up telling them what it was about. Yeah. They said? They they, they said everything that happened to me. The, I broke into the house next door. You know, this is the damage. This is, the, these are the charges, you know. That um, you were pay-per-viewing? Uh, you know, like. They knew it all already? Yeah. Yeah, so. Because, okay, so they took yeah. you and they booked you. Yeah. And then um, now you go to trial? Well, Mike, I did have to go to court and it was actually on 9-11. Um, the 9-11? The 9-11, yeah. Jesus. So what a punctuation. Oof. Yeah. Uh, and I just remember pleading to God, like, please, God, just help me. Bigger <laughs> things in the world than a kid trying to masturbate, I'm sure, yeah, that day. Yeah, they yeah, probably, yeah. Like, did you get away? True, right. They let you get away with it? Well, I was I was on probation for a year and conversion therapy intensified. And Oof. then I had to go to court mandated counseling. And that counselor was a lifesaver for me because he was actually affirming. What's and his name? I don't remember his name. I okay, wish well, I praise it. him yeah. and bless him. Yeah. But he was the one person that I could actually talk freely to and about everything. Whereas the pastor, it was very much, You're these are my thoughts, you know, and and then she would give me feedback on how to change that, where he just listened and then offered s- suggestions. You know, like I remember he him telling me, you know, when you feel this, imagine it in a glass box, and uh, and when you need to get a hold of that 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 feeling of 
I, I can't remember exactly the topic that we were discussing, but he just gave me good tools to work with. Whereas the past, go back to the not. glass box thing. I'm interested. So he said it's in a glass. Explain that a little more. Yeah, I think we were talking about my anger, okay, or or my curiosity. One of the two, and he was he was telling me to put that into a glass box. It's interesting because one thing someone told me in church that I used for my uh, problems with what I was feeling was they said when you have something that you can't control when you have something that you can't think about it if you just visualize you taking that emotion and putting it in a bag and then leaving that bag at the foot of Jesus at the cross yeah and that's what I had always done and I had internalized my homosexuality I had thought about physically putting all of the vibes and all of the feelings that I was having and compressing it into something and giving it to God and giving it to the Lord and just getting rid of it and so that was how I was able to get through with it. So I was that's why I was curious about the box. Well, I remember him saying that I could access it when I needed to. Uh-huh. But just to put it in there, you know. And but his advice to me and the tools that he gave me, I remember were very helpful during that time. And I remember he helped me feel calm and that's um, good. I'm glad for you. Yeah. But then a year later it all happened again because How did that start? You know, suppression and denial will always work a wonder on you. And that's what started happening again. I, uh, through conversion therapy, I was continuing to suppress how I was feeling, denying that it all was happening. And I, hormones were just taking over and the curiosity. And I knew that people had porn and we did not. <laughs> and, right. And so I just started going into other homes, uh, lake homes that were nearby. I would ride my bicycle down there and I hit another jackpot. And this time there was several types of dildos. Oh. <laughs> People like to hide their dildos in their bed compartments. Well, they just want to reach and grab. <laughs> right, right, you know right, I mean? right. Like <laughs> when you're ready to go to town, you don't want to like go to t- have to go all the way to town to go to town. You want to just like retry them. Right. So there were long ones, veiny ones, hollow ones. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand the hollow one, but maybe you put it on a vibrate. I'm not sure. But, yeah, or like the guy puts it on. Yeah, right, extender. extender, right, yeah. And so the last time that this happened, I was opening up, I was getting ready to take the screen off a window, and I heard this voice behind me say... So how many houses have you broken into at this point? Under 10. Over five? Five-ish. Around five or six houses? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And now you're taking a screen door off of another house? Well, I was getting ready to take a screen off of window okay. and climb through the window. Uh-huh. And I heard this voice behind me say, what are you doing? And my heart dropped. I knew again that I was caught. And I came up with this excuse that... Who was it? It was a neighbor. And I recognized him because I broke into his house. Oof. <laughs> so he uh, says, what are you doing? Yeah. And you go... <gasps> yep. You're like, and I... Oop. Yep. <laughs> and you turn around and what are you wearing oh i don't know i remember i had my backpack full of dildos on me so okay <laughs> so basically you're like door the butt explorer and you're there with yeah. your backpack you're about to climb into this house to try to get yourself another no this was the this was a beautiful lake home with cathedral ceilings windows from the top of the ceiling to the floor with a view of the lake it was gorgeous and no one was there in the winter time because it was right. a summer home and so I would go in there, and that was my playground. Mm. That was my place to explore. As a summer home, summer home, summer <laughs> <not>. <laughs> Okay, so you, um, you're, oh my gosh, you're climbing into your playground. Yeah. The man says, what are you doing? You say. I made up this excuse that uh, I noticed that the seal of the window was broken, and I was going to just leave the homeowners a note, and 
you know, just to be... It's a pretty good lie. I mean, it's not yeah. the best, but yeah. you could have did worse. Yeah. He didn't believe it, obviously. Well, what did he say? He, he said, you stay right here. I'm going to call the you cops. you didn't run? I, I, no, I didn't. I was too nervous. I was too scared. Part of you wants to get caught, too. Like, part of you wants it all to stop. I, I wanted it to stop. I, yeah, that's true. That's true. Everybody, yeah. Who, yeah. you know, you wanted it Absolutely. to stop. Absolutely. I just you, wanted to be free. Yeah. yeah. So, the cops show up. Yeah. The and Indiana State Troopers. Mm. <laughs> they should have came earlier. <laughs> oh, no. Hey, boys. Oh, no. <laughs> Let me show you a good time. I got a backpack full of fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, you're 14, 15. Yeah, yeah. On your sixth a theft of a house something like that yeah something like that and you have a backpack full of door of the explorers and the cops show up yeah and what do they say to you i i, I don't remember the conversation whatsoever i was just so surreal in I mean, shock. adrenaline pumping. yes yeah 100 so do they cuff you no no they didn't cuff me at all um <laughs> they <it>. they called <laughs> my dad they called your dad and he came in the 1986 Lincoln Town car that was once my grandpa's and was my first car. And to come rescue his son, the dildo thief. The dildo thief. And I asked my dad recently about this experience and how it was for him. And he said that he remembers the cops being very courteous and they helped him load my bike in the car. <laughs> and I remember that car ride home and it was just quiet. Yeah, what do you say? There was no, you couldn't say anything. And uh, my dad, when I asked him about what it was like for him, he he just said, I was just shocked. I, I just couldn't believe you did that. But I know why I did it. I did it to survive, to yeah. try to create that space that I was not allowed space, to have. You wouldn't have to find one. Yeah. If I was allowed just to ask the questions about sex, about all my curiosity, if I was allowed to kiss the boy that I wanted to kiss, you know, it would have released that valve, the steam from that valve, if you yes. will. I don't know how to say it any other way. And I have to say, because through all of this, I'm glad that your parents didn't kick you out. Oh, God. Yeah. Because being that strong oh, in faith God. and yeah. the, historically, like what happens to some kids, yeah. like through it all, your parents, like I have to give them a little bit of credit for just being that patient, you know? Yeah. I had to wash the basement walls. Yeah. And um, do all these chores. And I mean, I, I got disappointed. You got punished. Sure. Yeah, I got punished. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What came of that? What was the repercussions of you stealing from all those houses? Um, I had to go on probation again. The court mandated counseling continued. I had to do community service. My community service was cleaning the church. And the conversion therapy continued. And I thought I was this creep. I was this pervert. I thought I was broken. It made me feel like in youth group in our church in the in my faith community that i was just even more that fuck up and i still carry part of that today and for the past 10 years me coming out and learning how to give myself that space in healthy ways i would like been my to ask you to take your guilt that you carry with you right now and put it in a glass box <laughs> and what kind of box break it just throw it yeah yeah yeah. like you have to let it go yeah yeah you're in a safe place now yeah thank you Azariah thank you for sharing your story with everyone so they can get to know you <laughs> <laughs> there's much more to him besides oh, being gosh. an incredible dildo thief I promise so much more we'd like to ask our listeners um, if you have any uh, prayer requests or any praise reports 
that in future programming, that's how we will be starting the shows. Uh, this is very special for you to get to know us, but we want to start the shows with prayer requests and praise reports for you. Or if you have a special prayer for the LGBTQ community, please email us at yas, that's Y-A-S-S, yasjesuspod, P-O-D, yasjesuspod at gmail.com. Um, or if you know someone that would be a great guest on our show, or if you yourself might have a great story you'd like to tell, uh, please share that as well. Um, but in the meantime, I would like to close with a small prayer for young people that are currently in conversion therapy and in situations like both Azariah and ours. Dear Lord, we come to you today to just open up the hearts and minds of all the people surrounding young people today that are both in conversion therapy, considering conversion therapy, or trapped in their current situation without a current safe space. We'd like to ask that you let them know somehow that there's some solace, there's some beacon of light for them, and that there is a community and a tribe that will accept them and love them and remind them that Christ loves them. God is love, and we are here gathering together to try to spread that message of love so people out there can understand that love is unconditional and God's love is unconditional, and it's meant for every single one of us here on this planet. Every single one of us is worthy of God's love, no matter who we feel that we would love inside or who we think we are. And I would just like for you to protect them with a blanket of your light, send an angel down to watch over those kids that were in those same positions, and perhaps they may not have to suffer as much as we have in the past. We're so grateful that you brought us the opportunity today to come forth and be able to have this opportunity to have a place to reach people. And we're so looking forward to seeing where this takes us. In your holy and precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. I'm Daniel Francesi, and I've been here with... Azariah Southworth, the dildo thief. <laughs> the dildo thief. <laughs> and we hope that you join us for future episodes of Yas Jesus. Please follow us on Instagram at Yas Jesus Pod, or again, reminding you to email us at yasjesuspod at gmail.com. And you can find Yas Jesus on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Yas Jesus! Ha, 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 ha.